0: The hey guys, it's The Sessions presented by FanDuel. The Super Bowl is here and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. FanDuel has awesome exclusive Super Bowl offers for both new and existing users. There's going to be tons of different bets and new markets available for the game. You can combine multiple bets into a same game parlay and you can continue to jump in on the action at any time with the live betting. And when you win, you get paid fast download the FanDuel app today and start making every moment more during super bowl 57 disclaimer 21 plus in select states gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash rg for colorado iowa minneapolis new jersey pennsylvania illinois tennessee virginia and ohio 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 for arizona 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT for indiana Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia. Welcome to the sessions. How is everybody doing today? Hopefully, everybody's feeling good, looking good, doing good, all of the above. I'm currently recording from um, the floor of where my pseudo studio space used to be. We're like eyeballs deep in renovations at my house. So I'm sitting on like chipped wood floors. I probably have splinters in my ass. But hey, the show goes on, you know? So that being said, I am joined by the legend himself, Samoa Joe. So happy to get Joe on you know, talk about different moments in his career, things that he's been through, things he's seen, things he's done, how he's, you know, winded up with his time here in AEW, things he wants to leave the next generation with, some matches that he's uh, exceptionally proud of, to his new foray into the, the acting world and the voiceover world. Also, we get into like his like insane artillery of weapons that he has in his house and now weapons that I have in my house because he likes to send weapons to my husband. We, we get into the whole thing. It'll all make sense when you listen. All right, guys, enough from me and my splintered butt on this floor. I'm going to hand things over to uh, my guy, Samoa Joe. Enjoy. (music) And a one and a two. Samoa Joe. First of all, you don't look really like thrilled to be here right now.
1: Well, I'm ecstatic. This is one of the best (laughs) times I could have used here right now There's, yeah
0: <laughs> you're just like sitting in a dark
1: room <laughs> i'm very sad
0: it's funny having a podcast where i have guests twice a week but like booking people i always feel bad asking people to do because i know time is precious time is precious off time is precious
1: come on renee you know you know i you know i'll never miss an opportunity to hang out with you
0: I know that's why I was like, Oh, I'll pester Joe because I can pester Joe and, uh, I'll get him to pop on here. Um, but what, okay. So what does an off day look like for you? What did like today? What did you do today?
1: Today was nice. Like I said, an off day is kind of rare these days, but, uh, uh, woke up, uh, hit the pool, did a nice little cold dip, got my, uh, got my mind right. And my, my, punishment done for the day, hit the gym, came back had lunch, a little, little fun noodle soup, you know, and, uh, Called, called it a called it any waiting for the games to start, you know?
0: Yeah, I feel like on like those like reset days, like today was one of those days for me where I was like, oh, so our house is being completely remodeled right now. Essentially, and I'm like sitting in a dirt pile for anyone that's not watching on YouTube right now. I'm sitting in a pile of rubbish, had to work out. I had to shower. I brushed my hair for you. I like this is fresh new hair.
1: I can tell them those, those ends finally came together, which I'm really happy about. It's great job.
0: They finally <laughs> came together. But anyways, I feel like it was like a little mental clarity day and then my computer took a shit on me. So now I'm back to ground <laughs> zero of having a meltdown, which I love. I love those days.
1: I think what people don't understand is like, uh, if you had to describe your, 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 your normal week uh, as a, in the wrestling industry or whatever, it's pretty much you take your entire life and convince it to like two or three days. That near your home life, you know, and like you got a baby time, uh, groceries, uh, laundry, everything that you need to get done, you got to get done in just this really short window of time.
0: Okay, so how do you balance that? Because some weeks I feel like I'm getting a good grasp on it, but you've been a, you've been in the wrestling world much longer than I have. You've had kids much longer than I've had. You've been married longer than I have. You've got a leg up on the entire situation. So what? How do you? How do you balance it? Do you have a system?
1: Oh, we get a maid. First off, you you'll go find this. So you get a good, awesome maid. You pay her very, very well. And uh, I mean, literally, that's I think just the biggest thing is that you know you realize with your time being away from home. I mean, it's just it it limits your ability just to get normal life done. So I mean, you gotta you take shortcuts where you can. Other than that, it's just like you know we kind of got like especially laundry. I think laundry is the biggest. (laughs) Uh, wrestler <laughs> hang up. I think it's just you being married, oh, so my you know the deal It's like that stuff. That stuff comes out of that bag pretty, pretty right. It's never and ending, so, uh, and it's never ending. Especially then you had kids in the equation. Who, you know, I, I got a couple of boys that you know act like shirts are worth <laughs> 15 minutes worth of time. they strip them off, they get something else. In. So it's like you know the, the the conveyor belt never stops. But I, I think the biggest thing is just like communication is big. You know, understanding. You know, how much your 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 significant other can get done during the week. Well, because
0: Jess works too. Your wife also works. So like she is busy. She's up at the crack of dawn getting things done.
1: Yeah, she works full time. She's a teacher, loves it. And, you know, it's her passion. So it's like, uh, yeah, we definitely needed to uh, sit down, kind of strategize and figure out what we can get done, what we can't get done and what we can't get done. Well, you know, you gotta bite the bullet and, and, and find somebody to help you come get it done.
0: What like tips you over the edge? Is there something when you're home, if, if it's like, this is messy or the, the gas is not in the car or something like that that pushes you over the edge?
1: All, all of the above. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, it all annoys you. You know what I mean? You get home, it all makes you angry. Yeah. <laughs> but as the years go on, you you start to realize, all right, I can't be mad about everything when I get home because I'm just like myself miserable. So you, you just kind of, all right, you don't mind stuff as much. But I think my big thing is, is like, you do not, Ever, I don't care if it's a life or death emergency. (laughs) Never take the chargers out of my bag.
0: Oh my god! Do not touch the the tech in the bag.
1: There is nothing that makes me more angry than arriving somewhere, digging in that bag, and then just knowing you have to walk over to the Newport News and buy some (laughs) eight-dollar charger. That's you know, like it's just. I think that's the biggest. That's the only really thing. Now everything else flows off me, but that one thing, man. If you greatly hinder my travel progress, oh.
0: That is infuriating, especially if you or if you're just missing the plug, and you're like, "Can I plug it my thing into the TV? Is there like going to be one of those switches where you can just not like omit the USB port?" Oh my god!
1: Let's be honest; like the majority of USB ports in hotels and or airports are bad. Oh my god! You
0: want to plug
1: anything into the? I mean, they look rough. You know, I mean, they look like they got like a cough and wheeze when you look at (laughs) like the USB ports are all jacked (laughs) up. It's not. (coughs) (laughs)
0: I don't think that I've ever actually seen you mad. And what's funny is that like, so while I was like thinking about like things to talk to you about, you are one of the most scariest men when you switch to walking out the curtain, when you are walking to the ring and you're beelining and you were in Samoa Joe mode, I stay the hell out of your way. I know you pretty well. And you're like one of the sweetest, nicest men, which usually the most dangerous men in the room.
1: But you also know, I can't wait for an opportunity to check in into the <laughs> boards, you know, just kind of put you up against the wall.
0: <laughs> but I always feel like it's like the most dangerous guys in the room that don't have to like over exude themselves to let people know that they're a bad motherfucker. They don't have to do that. And that is you, but I've never seen you like ever actually mad. I would love to see that from a distance.
1: I, I think it's because you met me a, a very later, uh, version of me, which is maybe kind of toned down a bit and, uh, understands the impact of his actions, and, uh, has been told that, you know, uh, when I, when I flip out, uh, everybody kind of goes on high alert and it gets weird real fast. So it's like, I, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. I just, I just, I've, I've learned, uh, how much trouble comes with outbursts and, and trust me, I've probably been, uh, prosecuted to the hilt whenever I've, uh, uh, popped off and gone crazy and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just, a lot, a lot of uh, hindsight is really what it is.
0: What kind of trouble are we talking? Are we talking like trouble trouble or just like bratty
1: outbursts? Both, you know, like uh, for context, I think I think I'm probably the most fined and suspended guy in DNA history. Maybe not by this point. I don't know.
0: For what? Like what kind of things were you doing? I don't I don't know these stories.
1: Uh, you know, I just, I just get upset at, you know, things and I, and I just wouldn't handle the right way. You know, I, I flip out. Well, here's the thing it's never physical. You know, I've never assaulted anybody never uh you know threaten anybody's life right that's not into me but i think if anybody's been around when i'm which i guess you have when i'm hot and i'm shouting about things i'm told it's like very terrifying and it seems very like violence is about to pop off and stuff so i mean i think that's really the gist of it i remember at the time too it was like anytime i had a big pop-off and like somebody else would have something similar like it, i was always punished way more and it was like we well, were just scarier it's like all right cool
0: well, I guess if you're scarier, but also if you were doing it more often, you overstep the boundaries enough already. You were already in the deficit.
1: Another reason, too, is just like I have had a, a tremendous opportunity to kind of be, be in there to kind of, you know, roll around with and mess with some of the baddest dudes in the world. And, you know, that's humbling really, really quick. You know what I mean? You get loop chug about three or four times the same way and the guy tells you how it's coming. I mean, it, it, it has a tendency to make you kind of uh, have some clarity on what's a real dangerous situation.
0: We all need one every now and then a little danger in your eye. Um, Okay, let's take things back to early days, Joe, because you are from a family of performers. You have been in you've been an entertainer your entire life. Um, What's it like growing up with a family of performers and just kind of being bred into that environment?
1: A pretty wild, you know, like uh, I I think the transition to pro wrestling is probably the easiest thing I've ever done in life just because it's the same concept it's gigging, you know, it's going out there. And I mean this in the gig sense, not the other way. <laughs> <Some laughs> We're not bleeding. Ninja. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's, 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 gig mentality. It's just, you know, you go out there, you're, you, uh, book yourself out, you know, do your, do your night's work and, you know, collect your paycheck and travel home. You know, I'd been on the road and with my family performing full time and that, and that's like, you know, three or four shows a week since I was five.
0: At like summer, summer games. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that was, that was my first like dancing debut was my father made a, Terrible miscalculation on how quick the girls could get to and from the fifty-yard line, make a costume change, and get back out there for the next number. You know, the girls they they did their first routine, and we're drumming in the background. And they made their way off the field, and my dad looked and realized, okay, ten seconds going by, fifteen seconds, oh, we're starting to lose the crowd. So he pretty much grabbed me. I was five at the time. You're cute. You
0: get out there.
1: I remember stall. You know, like it was a like go get him, kid. Go get him, Tiger. He's just like. Oh, and so you know went out there wide-eyed terrified did my thing you know walked back i think something like 60,000 people in the LA coliseum or however how much it holds don't don't quote me on that <laughs> and uh i never had stage fright after that again it was just like legitimately like i never i've never been scared to go up in front of people never whatever cuz it was like after that it was just shock therapy it was like there you are
0: okay so working with your family though What are, I guess, like the pros and cons of seeing entertainment through their eyes, learning entertainment through their eyes, and then kind of making the foray into professional wrestling?
1: The pros are definitely like understanding performance, understanding what an audience is, you know, looking at what they want comparatively to what you think they want. Understanding, you know, like I said, stage presence, poise, knowing to take your time in front of people because it attracts attention. It doesn't deflect it. It's a lot of like small things that are just stage presence issues immediately translated pro wrestling. And then, you know, from my brothers and sisters perspective, I mean, they, they were all extremely talented. My brother still runs the show to this day in in Southern California. And, um, you know, like, like I said, they were all very, very high end Polynesian entertainers. So it was like, I was always kind of striving towards that. And then when I got to pro wrestling, it was, it was a lot like finding my own thing and uh, as much passion as my brother had for the Polynesian dancing business, that's what grew for me as far as pro wrestling.
0: Okay. So you're, you're with your family doing the Polynesian dance troupe. What was the twinkle in your eye to make the transition over to pro wrestling from that?
1: So I think pro wrestling is probably the only sport team type thing that me and my father watched together. And so I think generally everyone in my house kind of enjoyed it. You know, they thought it was cool. And really for a lot of Polynesians, you know, pro wrestling was the, one of the few places even before the NFL where, you saw actual Samoans on TV, which is wild. I mean, we're a small island in the South Pacific, you know, off on Sika, we're like, you know, Jordan and, and, and yeah, to, yeah. To, to a lot of <laughs> yeah. like young Samoans growing up because, you know, it's just, it was just, it was crazy to see like, wow, you know, we're we maybe a small island that, you know, everybody thought we were from Hawaii and stuff back in the day. And it's like, to see that was, was always a big deal. So I think that's kind of what, what the attraction was initially was just that it was cool seeing Polynesians on television there. You know, I, I think I just got to a point where, uh, my relationship with my father really suffered because of the show, you know, the rest of my brothers and sisters kind of exited we were doing own thing at the time. It was just me and him and my cousins, you know, it just it put a lot of stress and strain because, you know, being my boss didn't stop when we got done with the show. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, like imagine having a tyrant of a boss and you know, he's living in the room down the hall and he's on you 24 hours. A day. So, I mean like, because of that, like me and my dad's relationship suffered tremendously and like, you know, we had a, we had a, you know, huge issues and like, you know, I didn't want to be part of the show anymore. And I was sick of it. And I was sick of being the last guy I left, and, and, you know, with, and whatever issues that he may have had frustrations with other family took out on me. Yeah. And it just manifested, uh, you know, in, in bad ways. And then when I made the transition to pro wrestling and I explained to him, and obviously, you know, I, I paid my fair share into the family pot every time I got my paycheck, you know, he totally understood it, and he got it and, and he knew what I was passionate about it. He knew I was good at it and he couldn't have been more supportive. You know, it like, it's like our, our relationship kind of like completely did a 180. Uh, he became my biggest supporter. My biggest fan was driving me to LAX in the morning at five in the morning to catch flights to the East Coast.
0: That's a favor if I've ever heard one.
1: Like getting up, being like, you got to make this flight, you know, even you know, I'm, I don't miss flights. But I mean, I remember a few where he, he woke me up and said, you know, get your ass up. Got to get you to flight. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that I always appreciate about Ross. It was a was kind of a non- Intentional side effect was that it really rebuilt the relationship between me and my father.
0: What about the sense of like Polynesian pride? I mean, you mentioned Afa and Sika, but looking at what's happening now, I mean, your career, incredible, obviously, and we'll we'll delve into more of that stuff. But I mean, looking at stuff that's happening with like the bloodline and those guys being like to see the career of those guys and where they're at mean, especially, um, you know, the Usos who have been in this game for such a long time. From The Rock, I mean, there's just so many prominent Samoan professional wrestlers. What is the sense of uh, pride in that now?
1: Uh, it's overwhelming. You know, obviously, uh, you know, the stuff that the Bloodline are doing great. You know, the Usas are both real good friends of mine. Roman, you know, he's, he's a good brother. They're all good brothers, you know. And uh, I, think, I think for them, it's very much carrying on a legacy that their family started, you know, years past and really, you know, carrying that legacy probably better than even their, their uh, forefathers would have hoped. And, uh, you know, for me, I think it's just, it's, it's very much in the same vein, you know, just letting all politicians know that they're, you know, we, uh, we're we well represented out here in the sporting space yeah. and, uh, you know, and just continue to try to be like, you know, a, a good, uh, I guess, a good, a good beacon of hope for, for a lot of uh, kids uh, across the South Pacific that, you know, a lot of things are possible.
0: OK, so young Joe, five years old, being thrust into the spotlight at the summer games, your career through professional wrestling. I mean, you have been there and done so many different things, working different promotions, carrying championships, having all these amazing things now at forty three.
1: Sounds about right. Uh, I think check Wikipedia. I, haven't, I really I
0: actually just hit that age where I go, I'm thirty five. No, bitch, you ain't. You're thirty seven. <laughs> Keep up. <laughs> I'm I'm mid thirties. No, you're actually late thirties. What is your relationship with performing now? You've been doing it for so long. And I mean, even outside of the wrestling world, I mean, now you're, you know, you're doing the voiceover work. You're, you're doing so many different things. What is your relationship with entertaining now?
1: It is super measured. I think is the best way to describe it. Like, and I think you've seen it too. A lot of people do. Um, Especially like you said, like I'm, I'm definitely like walk through the curtain that it's on. But previous to the curtain, and I think you can attest to this, I'm probably goofy as hell backstage or, <laughs> talking, you know, thinking about anything but me walking out there.
0: Yeah, you're thinking of different ways to insult me.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's like, you know, breathing in and breathing out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that, I think that's the biggest thing is it's just uh, it, it's it's a lot more controlled, but it's just because of experience. You know, it's just because I've been in that spot so many times and I've walked through that curtain so many times. And uh yeah, I, I, I tell people like, oh, you know, guys, be you don't get a charge anymore. I go, no, the charge is there. It's just, I, I I know what it feels like.
0: Does that ever like affect you in a way that you're like, man, I wish, I guess you don't, it's not like, feel like wishing. Oh,
1: absolutely. No, I wish, I wish I could get that buzz back. You know, that nervous, oh, you know, my, my destiny's through this curtain. Yeah. I, oh.
0: I know it does. It makes me a little sad almost of like, man, but it's great. I mean, to be so lucky to have a career where you've been able to scratch so many of those itches and now to be able to look back on it in that way. But I know to like get that rush again.
1: Well, it's funny, like I'll see guys now, especially in because there's just a lot of younger younger guys who are just kind of coming into their own. And I see it, you know, and I see just that that biting tension and just that, you know, and I'm just like, oh, man, I remember that feeling. You know, it's like, it's it's funny because right now they're probably thinking it's terrifying and it's horrible and it's churning them and pulling them in all different directions. And But at the same Until time, they're done, with it, they so they're
0: done it. with it and then they love it. And
1: then there's oh, it's this big release and they're all great and stuff. And I, I think that's what it is. You know, really performance is essentially kind of a, a guided endorphin rush. I've been on the trip so much. It's just easier to guide those endorphins. What would like your
0: advice be to essentially the entire AEW roster? Because there is so many really young wrestlers It is a young roster um what's your advice that you would give to people that are kind of just starting just getting that television experience and kind of learning those ropes i mean even guys that are well-seasoned pro wrestlers that maybe don't have that television experience
1: i think gauging your thoughts behind eliciting reactions from the crowd and how to get it rather than you know just worrying about the minutia of what you're doing and and, you know, like, like not worrying about the details, but worrying about the destination, I think is kind of what I'm getting at, where I feel like, you know, a, a lot of guys are really stuck on the, the technicality of what they're doing and not the reason why they're doing it. And I think that's my biggest advice I would offer to anybody, you know, AEW, WWE is just, you know, it's awesome that you can do it, but why are you doing it? I have to just bring that essence of reality to it, just having a reason for everything you do. You know, I, I'm a big. I hate the the term "less is more." I think it's kind of an open invitation to be really lazy. But I love, like, I love saying, "Get the most out of everything you do." I think mean, it's just. I think it's a better way of saying that.
0: Squeeze that juice out, baby. Yeah,
1: get get to the pith.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> get it all out. Um, okay, so the past what five years have been like quite an up and down for you. <sighs>
1: Uh, I, I've seen beyond <laughs> that. I mean, probably past decades been pretty wild.
0: Okay, so from going from TNA into NXT, um, your entire run at NXT to being on the main roster, to doing commentary, being released, being brought back, the ups, the downs. What? What was like? the soul searching that was happening during those moments of just trying to figure out what is next, what you wanted to still kind of give back to the wrestling world at that point. Cause I, I mean, I know you and I had, you know, many conversations kind of in between some of those spots, but yeah, just sort of, I guess like that uncertainty that comes with this life and the injuries on top of that, you got some wacky injuries too.
1: Oh, for sure. I, you know, and the concussion by far was probably the worst thing, but in general, I think what happened with TNA, I'm, during that time to the transition to NXT was obviously very unique and very unusual, you know, for Hunter to take that type of uh, chance and kind of go against uh, internal dogma by the people that were there at the time. Um, what was a big thing, you know, and he, and he offered me a great initial deal. And after that went well, uh, he offered me a better one. He offered, I think he offered me like two more that were even better than that as uh, we kept going. And, and then we were finally in business, like properly full time. And, um, yeah, I mean, for me that was kind of just validation as far as like, you know, all the all the work that I'd done was yeah. not and you know, all the, the the time spent and and all that was was all for good. And then, you know, being released from WWE the first time,
0: it was very bizarre. I will say from the outside cuz I was already gone at that point. I was like, "What the fuck? It just made no sense."
1: I deigned to say that that initially there there as I understand it, unconfirmed, you know, there's there is uh, issues between the two upper echelons of management and they were uh, playing out their uh, war with the, uh, the careers and the contracts of the people underneath them. So, you know, uh, the, after the initial one, I mean, I didn't have much of a chance to agree because essentially I was hired back within hours. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause I think I was like, wait, can you do my podcast now? And you're like, Nope.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think I had to tell you no good Cause I don't think I'm going to be back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the second time I just kind of chuckled. As I realized it was very much the same situation. But at the same time, I mean, I, I wasn't bitter or mad. I mean, the, the truth of it is, you know, really to, to, and this is to give, you know, I guess WWE some credence was that I was expensive. You know, I, I, was, I was expensive to keep around. And uh, if, you know, cutting my contract, if they say that saved the company money, trust me, I, I believe it did. So <laughs> I, mean, I, I wasn't like hot about that, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah. it was just more of the just the silliness of, of the situation and what they were doing. And, Right. And, and the reasoning why they're doing it, but, uh, which I can't, you know, you can never officially confirm, but I've, but I've heard from enough people that I have a pretty good idea, what we're doing so, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, including
1: many of the people involved. So, um, after that, it was kind of like, I, I, I think I spent a day kind of pissed and like I said, more at the situation than the actual firing. And then like all these like super awesome opportunities literally materialized out of nowhere.
0: Isn't it crazy how that happens that like, I feel like that, I, I feel like when you put in the work, which obviously you do, I feel like you kind of get met on the other end with all the other opportunities.
1: I, I can confirm that is that is absolutely the case. You know, like I really wish I could say it was some, you know, miracle stroke of luck. But it was just literally um, it, it was kind of refreshing to see that a lot of the groundwork I laid and just, you know, just trying to treat people with respect and be kind and and be open. And, and you know, and, and it came back and visited me, the guy that, you know, I had met 15 years prior. uh and was a good, good. We had a mutual friend, and we hung out, and watched per views together a few times, and, and stuff like that. You know, I, and he was, uh, yeah, I don't, I, you know, he was kind of like just getting started out at New Line Cinema at the time and doing this thing. And then he gives me a call, and he's you know a major producer at Sony Pictures, and he's just like, "Hey man, uh, I got an opportunity for you. It, it's it's pretty crazy." And he goes, "Obviously, are you available?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, sure, I'm available. I just just been made available." And he goes, uh, "You heard of Twisted Metal?" I said, "Yeah, the video game PlayStation is great." He's like sweet tooth. And I was like, oh, I'm in, I'm in, let's do it. You know, like, so he had me read for the part and they loved it. And uh, the rest is history.
0: How was that experience of doing that for you? You had to go into the studio and do it.
1: We did actually a lot of location shooting. So we filmed uh, up in New Orleans and uh, um, yeah, a lot of crazy hot uh, sweltering days out in the sun, various locales and driving crazy uh, uh, Mad Max, uh rigged up uh, with no AC cars, <laughs> you know, and chase each other in the desert. So it, it it really really cool uh, from the uh, Mad Max standpoint because uh, you know it's just awesome jumping and driving cars but pretty crazy as far as uh you know some of the some of the crazy weather we dealt with down in Louisiana.
0: So did that kick in a little bit of a different like ooh I'm doing something else? Did that give you any kind of a different? I don't want to say like nervous energy, but that like excited energy to be doing something different on a scale like that?
1: Yes, because you know essentially like I I've never professionally acted in, 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 at least in a television production, you know? And, uh, you know, I have a pretty good idea of what to do out there and, and, and with people. And then, you know, the first day you're kind of sitting across with Anthony Mackie and the firing lines back and forth and, you know, these big long dialogues and, and, you know, I'm being dubbed over, but at the same time, you have to have the performance for the actors that are there. And for me, I just looked at it as like, well, this is just free practice. You know, worst comes to the worst. They'll fix it in post, but
0: yeah, you know, I'm going
1: to give my all. And then, you know, it, it was cool because as we got into the production work with these guys, Learn so much. Uh, you know, you're, you're nervous every day because obviously you don't want to let anybody down. You want
0: to yeah. Sure you know Everything's expensive. Everything, time yeah, is expensive. Time is expensive.
1: And so uh, that was my thing. I, you know, I, I went in there and, and it, it was a no lose situation for me and uh, a well paid no lose situation. So I kind of took it for everything it was and just had a lot of fun with it.
0: Did that, I guess, like wet your appetite for wanting to get into doing more stuff like that? And a little bit of a nice breather to not take some bumps for a while. Right. Give the body a little break.
1: But, you know, aside from that, like just that between that and the, and, and the voice acting for video games and stuff, it's just giving me a chance to be a different character. Uh, for me, that's just really exciting. It's it's cool just to kind of expand a little bit and do some other things, take some characters the other way. So um, that that's the biggest benefit for me.
0: I'm pumped for you to get to see these opportunities and see different things kind of come your way. Um Cause yeah, hell yeah. It's like you plant those seeds and you wait for them to start to sprout, to see what's going to take off, what's going to make sense. Um, I, f- I really feel that for myself in the last couple of years, as you like kind of drop a little seedling here and there. And then all of a sudden it's like, and it takes a while. It's never that overnight thing that just happens. It's kind of the patience that comes with that and like nurturing certain things to like have them kind of come to life.
1: To your point, I think is kind of what I've really learned is that, you know, I've, I've Some of the smaller moments in my life, the smaller interactions that I've had have paid off huge later on. And I never expected them to. You know, I just was trying to be cool or say what's up or, you know, homie was righteous. All right, cool. You know, like and a lot of that, uh, whenever I have found myself in, uh, I guess, career peril has uh, just immediately materialized and and like come with a lot of great offers, a lot of great things.
0: It's really funny. I always feel like that's kind of happened to me, too. And I guess that's just like how the world works is anytime you feel like you're like backs against a wall a little bit, you're like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? And then it's like the most random thing will come through or somebody emails you or somebody calls you and you're like, whoa, the universe is weird. Not to get all like hippy dippy on it, but it is fucking trippy. (laughs) I, I,
1: I think I think there's a lot of truth to that.
0: This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Download FanDuel now and use the promo code Renee R-E-N-E-E, so that you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Now, all of that is on the top-rated sports app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today with the promo code Renee R-E-N-E-E, to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. You like to send weapons to my
1: husband. Yes, I do.
0: I would like to say I I hate it. I don't hate it. But it does crack me up. If something just like comes to the house, it just says mocks on it. Odds are it's from you. (laughs) It's a
1: sword, a battle axe.
0: Yes, which. The more
1: ridiculous the weapon, the better I like to send it to mocks.
0: And that's what it is. It's not like some like run. It's like usually some like medieval times, like some insane item. But yeah, from the um, what's the whip thing called again? Shambok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Shambok. We have like 10 of those in the house now. Um, There's a blow dart.
1: Yeah, I said the blow gun. Blow gun's awesome. I mean, everybody needs one of those.
0: It's just so many ridiculous things. So you enjoy a, a good weapon. What, what else do you have in your garage? What kind of ridiculous items do you have that my husband has not been gifted yet so that I can prepare for these?
1: Oh, I sit next to me. I wish I could turn my camera. I have a bucket of weapons. <laughs> just sitting. Like in just like a red right
0: rubber bucket.
1: Yeah. I, in fact, I'll tell you for, so you can throw this in post. I'll okay. take a picture <laughs> of the bucket of weapons and you Great. can put it up on the screen. I'm a big history buff. This is where it all started. I mean, I, I, I love, you know, the eight the, the battles in history, I love, you know, reading about how societies and civilizations, you know, proceeded, migrated, conflicted, the whole nine. So, and one of the things was, is, you know, when you talk about medieval battles and stuff like that, you know, you don't really think about all just how crazy it really was. So, you know, you pick up a, a battle axe over here, let's say, and you think, you think, yeah, you yeah, <laughs> actually pick one up. Uh,
0: let me grab my battle axe real quick.
1: What the fuck? So for instance, got here a nice little Viking bearded axe and you say to yourself, wow, that's pretty cool. Now, do I go outside and hit stuff with this? No. Do I kill water bottles with it? I don't. Maybe I should. I hear it's pretty fun. But really, it's just, it boggles my mind that somebody sat in a field for two hours swinging this at somebody else and lived. Like, that's just wild to me. So that's kind of the start. It was like more of like a a, a visceral appreciation of history. But as time went on, uh, there's various people in my life I just like to send ridiculous weapons to, just because just the conversation they have to have with their wives, like, why is there a broadsword <laughs> on my front doorstep right now?
0: So you have other people other than John that you're sending these ridiculous things to?
1: Um, no, John is currently the only guy right. Now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There there have been others in the past, but uh, yeah, John is only the current guy that I send arms to right now.
0: Have you ever had any kind of incident where you've? needed to call upon a weapon.
1: Well, this is how the whole Schambach thing got started was somebody had gifted me one. And, uh, so I was like, Oh, wow. it's kind of a weird looking thing. And to give everybody an idea, it's a, basically a small medium, but it's essentially a riot. weapon, And, you know, have a terrible history of you know, South Africa and all this stuff. And it's, it's a horror weapon, but somebody decided to give me one. Of course, I decided to give it to John, but, <laughs> uh, hell of a weapon. So, a uh, weapon. you know, I, I, I kind of had it and just had it in my closet. Didn't really think much of it. It was just kind of, Oh, cool, cool little thing. And I remember we moved into our new home and this was, uh, my, my first son was just born. It was very, very tiny. And we're in our room and we're listening to the baby monitor. All of a sudden he goes, clack, clack, clack. So I run into the baby's room, you know, nothing's wrong. I, I thought I fell out of the crib, something clack. And like, I look at my window. And somebody's like, I see a chip in the window. And I, you know, open it up and there's this guy, he's basically in the middle of the street and he's just hucking rocks at people's windows. And you know, for whatever reason. And uh, I remember I walked out of my house and you know, the guy's stumbling around, he's throwing stuff. And I looked and I go, hey, uh, mf what are you doing? To which he stumbled over to me. I, and by this point I realized he's extremely integrated. And he was like, oh, what are you gonna? And he's kind of stumbling and bumbling. The minute he crossed the line, I say, hey, man, Get the F out of here. And uh, to which he replied, hey, F you, blah, blah, blah. And I see him go down to pick up another rock, at which point I just took three steps across with the shamblock, cracked him in the collarbone, and he made this unholy unho- noise, really bad noise. It was, it was one of the roughest noises I've ever hit a human
0: made. Did you Like Just like his voice making the sound or the collarbone snapping sound? No,
1: I, I didn't snap his collarbone, I don't think. But it, the noise he made was... People shouldn't make that noise. <laughs> so I mean, I'm like, oh, you know, I look down at him and he's on the ground. He's messed up. And, you know, essentially the guy was just really, really drunk and not having the best night.
0: Party's over, pal. Don't throw rocks at my kid's window.
1: Obviously, not my proudest moment, but, uh, you know, hey, at least I say I, I, I sampled and tried it out. It worked.
0: <laughs> you took it for a spin, but you were protecting your castle with your newborn baby. I mean, you, you kind of, I don't know, I don't think you really had many choices. What's like your most prized possession of the weapons? Is there one that's just like chef's kiss?
1: Oh, the blowgun. It's by far the most useful. But I mean, just really great, fun, fun.
0: You can get really like, you can really. uh, Pinpoint. Yeah, the accuracy on those things is quite. We we actually, so our house in Vegas, um, we had a rat in our backyard, which is my truest nightmare. Um, And John kept the blow dart in the yard thinking that he was going to be able to get the blow dart out fast enough to take out the rat that never happened but he did have high hopes that that was going <laughs> i got him like uh, no he would have felt too bad doing it there's no way he could have ever actually pulled the trigger to do that he'd feel too bad
1: we had a rat issue out here where they were living in i think we told you this where they're living out in, in like a palm tree
0: oh yes yes
1: so i'm out on my balcony and i see this giant rat that we have been trying to like catch because it's been just chewing up like palm the rats are gnarly
0: man that's what we had in vegas they're horrible
1: i got the, i had the blowgun i had it out and i thought oh, i had a beat on him but he was at the top of the tree and i hit him and i pinned him to the tree and now i had like this little rat hanging it up and she just said i couldn't get him down at the top of this palm tree and then finally a buzzard came by and ripped him off and, <laughs> and flew away with it
0: god rest his sweet little rat soul they're just the absolute worst i got no love for the rats get out of here Um, Okay, completely switching gears yet again, as I like looked at my notes of things that I wrote down to talk to you about Necro Butcher. So I had never seen Samoa Joe versus Necro Butcher and John made me watch it.
1: Was that the second date or the first date? (laughs) So what's
0: funny about this story is that it was actually right after he had left WWE and he told me to watch it. And we're sitting at the airport and I tweeted about it. And I got in so much trouble for merely tweeting Samoa Joe versus Necro Butcher. I got in trouble for that. It's violence. It is pure violence.
1: Good old Necro was, uh, he didn't have the best eyesight in the world and he had a lot of enthusiasm. So that usually makes for a rough night when it comes to those those punches flying in. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny, like it, maybe it was because it it was just a different internet back then, but you know i thought it was a cool match and it was fun and and, and like you know people dug it and the, you know hot crowd and everybody was wild about it and you know fast forward you know, you know 10 on some years and i'm seeing like papers being written
0: on oh my god it, you know,
1: people doing their dissertations on it like making all these yeah no there's literally is, i think there literally is a
0: fantastic
1: like somebody's dissertation to graduate it's about samoa joe versus necro butcher and, and really adding so many layers of context which I had no intention to be there, but, you know, they they interpreted it that way. So it's cool. Wow. I felt like a real artiste after I got done reading it. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, it's it's a brawl. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. It's just distilled down to what it needs to be. Two guys trying to knock each other's block off.
0: So violent. I couldn't even tweet about it. I didn't add a graphic. I didn't add a photo or nothing. I just, that's all I said and I got in trouble for it. Um, What stands out to you as some of the programs that you're most proud of that you did through your whole career? I mean, God, there's so many to think of, but like what are the ones that you really kind of harken back to?
1: You know, a lot of stuff I did with AJ, you know, at any uh, company or any form has always been great. Kurt Angle, TNA, Brock and WWE. Those are kind of the things that stand out where it was like really engaging programs with guys who just want to go out there and tear the place down. So it was, uh, those were all really fun to me.
0: Like, is there any kind of like, thing you didn't get to turn over, like some other kind of match you wanted to have, someone you wanted to wrestle. I mean, now when you look at the roster of AEW, like I said, there's so many new guys, there's young guys, there's different styles, et cetera, et cetera. We're having so many more guys come in from Japan, all that. Is there anybody that you really want to kind of tie it up with out there?
1: I I can kind of name off a laundry list of dudes who, you know, would kind of fit that bill. Like where I'm at now, it's like, Whoever you put me in in front of, you know, whoever you put me with, I want to make that awesome. You know, it's kind of like, I don't think there needs to be perfect ingredients to make the best dish. I just think you gotta cook them the right way. So, I mean, that's kind of where my mind's at right now. Like it's it's definitely not on, oh, I want this dream match and I don't want that dream match. No, I want whoever they put me with, I wanna turn that into something. You know, we kind of got that started here with Darby Allen. I think, I think we on paper before we ever locked up that that matchup doesn't seem like, "Mm," you know, it's, you know, just because of, you know, whatever preconceptions you may have with either one of us and, uh, you know, kind of getting in there now after two matches going into our third here. I think that, that opinion and that view of it is very, very different. And now it's something that's kind of sought after and people want to see.
0: Do you feel any kind of responsibility with, um, with your position in AEW and all the experience that you have to really get some guys to, to i guess like a passing of the torch so to speak with some of those guys or getting people in like that sweet spot or like setting that locker room standard because wrestling <laughs> grizzled old vet over here um it has changed a lot in the last little while um but what do you like do you feel any responsibility to to sort of set the standard whether it's in the ring in the locker room et cetera, et cetera?
1: it's unusual for me to think of it that way because it means that you're kind of Setting a, a ceiling on certain people, you know it, to me, I'd rather go in there and work with people and then have them discover things you know two or three things or something about a way of doing a program, a different way to, to to skin the cat. That's my biggest thing is that you know if i can if I can work with guys and show them different ways of kind of accomplishing what they want to accomplish, you know alternative ways and and, and that's kind of my big thing. you know I think I don't think there's one right way to do things. I think it's pretty egotistical to think that there is but I do believe there are some proven methods that can work and that can be integrated into what people do. And that's kind of been my biggest thing is, I'm not trying to tell people how you're supposed to do things, you know, I will offer some uh, alternatives and other ways to, to do things. And that's, that's really what my focus has been is just trying to expand their mind a little bit along with mine and, and put together good matches.
0: You and I were watching, um, Mark Briscoe and Jay lethal at TV the other week. Um, what are some of your memories of Jay Briscoe? I know you got to obviously be a part of so many different things uh, with, with Ring of Honor. And I saw the video package and stuff that uh, AEW put together. But some memories that you have of uh, Jay Briscoe?
1: You know, I think the biggest memory of Jay, and I think, you know, like I said, why a lot of us were, you know, really floored by this is that, you know, Jay was a guy who was unconditionally loved people. He'd come in and, and it didn't matter if you're having a good day or a bad day. You know, he was always there to be like, hey, how you doing, man? And, you know, dap you up, give you a hug. You know, you shoot the bull with him. What happened down the chicken farm? Which is always wild stories. You know what I mean? Like they always had like, <laughs> like, like, like you know, hey, what, 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 was, what was when you went down to the farm? Oh man, you know, like, <laughs> and, you know, and it was just like you know. I, I think that was the biggest thing. It was just you know, Jay was extremely authentic. Ah, you know, like I said, we're 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 all gonna miss him just because just the fun, the hilarity. You know, like the 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 good times after the show, the great matches. It's just all that kind of goes away. It just, it it leaves a big void. And I think that's why it hit a lot of people. so hard.
0: It's funny. The first time I like saw the Briscoes, I'm just, I'm really sad that I didn't ever get to work with them in any capacity. Um, It was nice. I've only met Mark for the first time when we were at TV the other week, um, but just a a huge fan and obviously such a huge loss to the wrestling community. Um, Okay. So we're early on in the year. What do you want to accomplish this year? What does 2023 look like for Samoa Joe?
1: You know, obviously we, you know, we're, we're always hunting championships, you know, when we get our television championship back and uh, our TNT title back together. And honestly, I'm at a point now where where I'm having a lot of fun, you know, especially uh, at AEW and uh, we as performers, sometimes we get caught up in our own BS, uh, you know, a little bit too much. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes we don't present ourselves in the best possible way in the public eye knowing that, you know, we provide a service, you know, we're out there to entertain people. And to make people happy, and, and a lot of a lot of that is uh, you know kind of keeping up our own appearances and stuff like that. And though, while I don't tell everybody never to uh, you know hide your feelings or suppress your feelings, um, you know I think sometimes we share too much. You know, you know they they don't need to know that uh, me and Delta got a beef on Thursday like that's going to fix anything. Because trust me, I've seen everybody try to do it, and it doesn't. They do not move any faster if you call them out on social media. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> that just so I mean that that that, that that's kind of my thing. I just I'm keeping it I'm keeping it very positive in the sense that you know, I've been blessed and fortunate to be in a career where I get to go out and entertain millions of people every week. And uh, I've managed to stay in this career for much longer than what is expected. And, uh, you know, I just want to continue to do that at the very best level that I can.
0: It just made me think of of you like joining AEW, because I feel like and I could be wrong, but I feel like you were maybe at a point that you were considering maybe hanging up the boots. What was it about AEW that made you want to keep going? If that was the case, maybe I'm wrong.
1: Oh, all the money they threw at me. I mean, I <laughs> yeah. threw all my morals away and all my. No. Uh,
0: <laughs> hey, we got to get paid. I mean, you already said you come at a steep price. So,
1: no, you, no, I was I, I, I was I was legitimately thinking about hanging it up. You know, for health reasons, you know, obviously still coming off the concussion and still, you know, dealing with just the very, you know, end effects of that and and getting back in the ring healthy and like transitioning back to in a physical state where it's like, you know, I could do something for a a good period of time and like not like want to pass
0: out. What was that like being at home kind of struggling with that? Because, again, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I know you got hurt in the ring, but then you also got hurt on a shoot as well, right?
1: Yeah, on a commercial shoot. Yeah, essentially, you know, a, a table didn't break like it was supposed to, and I basically caught two concussions very close together, which is terrible. Um, to that point, though, you know, I did take a year off doing commentary, a little, a little, maybe a year and a half off, which helped me tremendously, and I and I do not regret taking that time. I wouldn't change it for anything. That allowed me to get healthy, get my mind back together, get get back into a, a place where I felt confident even doing anything physical. And I realized if I would have rushed that and I would have done that, I probably inevitably would have not returned to the ring at all. So I am happy I handled that well, despite wanting to kind of get after it. and
0: like- When you say you handled it well, like what you were just like happy to be doing what you're like, you were happy to be in the commentary position. You're happy to still like be in the fold of things. Like, were there some internal struggles of what that was like? Because, I mean, getting into the commentary world, as I can attest to, is like it can be a doozy. It can be a lot. And transitioning into that when I'm sure you're used to being on like the physical side of things. Was it hard to call matches when you want to be out there doing it? Or was it just kind of fun to flex that new muscle?
1: No, I think if anything, the, you know, the hardest part about commentary is a man in your ear. I mean, you can tell I mean, you can attest to that. And it's just because, you know, he's very exacting. He wants what he wants. No beef with that. I mean, OK, I get it. You know, I just thought about what I'd want people to say about me when I was. In there, And and that really was kind of my main focal point is like, you know, if if I'm, you know, so and so, how would I want to be talked about if I was if I was on top and I was putting on pressure and beating up this guy, how would I want that described? And really, that's kind of the mindset I took into it. So I, you know, I wanted to enhance whatever, you know, a performer was in that ring. I wanted to enhance, you know, how they how they appeared in, 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 the, in, the, in the fan. And and that was really kind of the only thing that I really had, you know, the only singular concept I kind of tried to keep in my mind while I was doing it. But I enjoyed it. You know, it was a great time. I was, you know, was working with great people. Um, you know, Michael Cole is probably a guy that is really unheralded.
0: Oh, my God. What a guy. I feel like I talk about how much I love Michael Cole all the time, but like he's truly exceptional.
1: I gained so much respect for Michael Cole and seeing what he actually does for the company. Like you know, and it goes far beyond the camera, far beyond the camera, and whatever. And you know, seeing what he has to put up with, and seeing (laughs) what he has to deal with, and you know, like I realized this. This is a man who, like anybody else in the world, would would have would have broke under the pressure that he's put on under consistently week after week after week. And um, just he was a big help too because like he fully believed in me. uh, You know, did everything he can to to put me in the best position to succeed. And uh, yeah, I mean, he 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 made that transition very easy.
0: Um, While we're talking about you on commentary, um, I would be remiss to not bring up the braid. Why did you lose the braid? Can we bring the braid back? Because I was a fan.
1: So braid was lost because of Twisted Metal.
0: Because with a head of hair like that, not a lot of guys are lucky to have the follicles that you have. And I feel like it's a little bit of a slap in the face to just get rid of the beautiful hair.
1: I think throughout my career, I've had a, a bevy of wild hairstyles, so and it, and it runs the gamut from shaved head to mohawks to color red mohawks to all kinds of stuff. So, my hairstyle is really just how I'm feeling that week. I make weird decisions and I come home and my wife just stares at me.
0: How does your wife react to like watching you wrestle and stuff now? Like, how has her relationship with your career changed over the years?
1: Nothing bothers her. She knows when I'm hurt. It's amazing. She's better than most people in the business. Like, she can tell when I'm hurt I'm not and like I, there's some things I've taken where she's just been like everybody in the room thought I was dead and she's like he's fine you know? <laughs> and then there's times where I'm legitimately hurt and I'll get a text from her you're hurt aren't you yeah <laughs> like so she's a grizzled old vet. you know <laughs> like, what can I say she she's seen it all I mean and like I said she she's known me for years even before my career and uh you know seeing me bloody bruised uh, cut up sliced up has been the majority of her time seeing me in life so uh, it's just really no surprise to her
0: <laughs> it's an old hat for her that just uh, reminded me of the time that i got kicked in the face on commentary you were the only person you're like are you okay <laughs> you texted me you're like what the fuck did you
1: just get kicked in the head dude Is your dog
0: boot- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking got my ass slow-mo that shit and i didn't even get a bloody nose some bullshit anyways listen i could have you on here and shoot the shit with you all day and probably tell a bunch of stories that we shouldn't tell um but i will uh i will let you go back to your off day i appreciate you jumping on here with sur-
1: you know i gotta admit i'm surprised you didn't bring up my, my sparkling canadian racist. well
0: <laughs> i started to when i said you have all these really offensive burns towards me can i i mean i guess i can say what they were they're not actually offensive this fucking guy, this sat with me for a week, a week. And I said it to John. I was like, Do you know what Joe called me this week? He called me a snowback maple sucker. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? I'm allowed to say it, right?
1: You're allowed to say it. That's why I told it to you because I knew it would be like a brain infection in you and you would you couldn't <laughs> not say it. Well,
0: because it was a clever burn. Like you can't help but laugh. Cause it sounds so derogatory and it really so does. rude. But it's very funny.
1: Well, I think when I called you the representative from the Moose Appreciation Society, that kind of got you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Some bol- I was just like, well, I'm not going to change my Twitter bio. But it's that, only but because, it funny.
1: You, as you know, I have. I, I actually I love Canada.
0: I know you love Canada.
1: I do. I do. I'm, I'm a huge. Uh, I got my boys in Toronto. I have a good time up there. Vancouver, ah, just that was, you know, it's best. on the West Coast. So that was kind of my first the little best. foray up there. So. I have a lot of fun we, in Canada. We're going to Canada so soon. Canadian We've got friends. like a big all.
0: loop in Canada, know, so buckle wait. up for let's go get some Caesars and some poutines,
1: we're uh, some ketchup chips, and we're gonna get some. I poutines, cannot some wait.
0: <laughs> I'm so pumped. I need to like drop five pounds so that I can put ten on.
1: Are we going to Montreal? Should we get some smoked meat?
0: No, we're not doing Montreal. We do like Toronto, Hamilton, Regina, Saskatoon, ah, the, the
1: salt of the earth Canadians. Yes.
0: Huh? Oh yeah. Oh, we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right. Go swing your axe handles around or whatever weapons you have there and um, I'll see you at TV. Yes, you will. Thank you. Thank you to Joe for taking the time on a day off to hang out with me, uh, shoot the shit, talk his career, talk about all those uh, many different topics that we kind of sashayed around. So thanks to Joe for hanging out with me and thanks to to you guys for also hanging out. And don't forget... If you're liking things here on the sessions and you want another platform to listen to or hang out, download the AMP app, hang out with us there, Tuesdays, Thursdays, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. We will be there. I was going to say be there or be square, and it, it just is lame, but now it's already left my mouth. So, you know, just be there. You don't have to be square. You can if you want, but just be there or here, whatever you guys want. It's your show. Do what you want with it. Listen to the podcast when you want to, where you want to. That's the beauty of it all, right? All right, guys, until next time, this has been The Sessions.